This is the show that brings to the forefront newsmakers, entertainers, and those making a difference in our lives and in our world. Each week is a new adventure with topics ranging from the most serious and cutting edge to the most lighthearted and entertaining. This is Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. Greetings, everyone. Richard Solomon, WCWP 88.1 FM, taking care of business of the show, WCWP.org. We have Rhea and Sal on the line as we are continuing our coverage of the coronavirus uh, shelter-in-place uh, shows. And we're going to talk to them because they, they, they were the people who witnessed and experienced the Great Depression and what it was like to be in the United States during World War II. So thank you for being on our show. And let's first start with the Great Depression. So either one, you guys grew up during the Depression. That must have been very, very hard times. Well, Saul was born in 1929. I was born in 1931. But the uh, we had hard times. We had to move from good areas to uh, less less uh, paying areas, you right. know, for rent. Cheaper areas, yes. Yes. Also, that we moved often because they offered free rent for a month or two, and they offered painting the apartments. And very often, we got the apartments from the on the top floor because that was the cheapest, and facing the backyards of the building as opposed to the fronts of the building. Well, we didn't have uh, no elevators. That kept us slim. <laughs> <laughs> so that but, was the stairmaster. <laughs> but uh, you know, we had to do with a lot of things out, without a lot of things. <clears throat> the parents, you know, the the fathers try to get jobs. A lot of them later on, like Abby, got uh, was in the conservation corps, and uh, our fathers tried to get jobs with the. Uh, with the stores that had uh, produce and because they knew about the, you know, fruits and vegetables because that's what they aligned Their trade was in Europe, but they they couldn't get jobs in the stores, so they went out peddling on push carts. They would pick up a particular item and, uh, or two items, that's all, nothing... uh, uh, nothing with a, as a full range of fruits and vegetables, just specialties. So this, therefore, they could buy in quantity at the lowest prices and sell uh, that that product at whatever the profits they can make. So let me let me kind of put this in perspective for people out there. This was the 1930s, right? Yeah. There was no television, right? No, no, television. no, no. Oh. Okay. We gathered around the uh, radio. radio for everything. And and how many stations were there available on the on the radio at that not time? Not many. Not not many. Just a few. <clears throat> but the children, the kids, always listened to the fantasy programs, and they acted it out as if it was live. Uh, like uh, they let's had- pretend. Was another was one Station. of them, yeah. and the voices, uh, you know, the actors were very good. They pretended they were different characters, and we used to uh, listen to it. And we had the man Drake, the magician, and we had to send away for the uh, secret code. 
Yeah. <laughs> so we can decode the messages. And the other thing was like Grand Central Station and that have a railroad train as, as the music going into the station and picking up the passengers and telling stories of what went on in the train. Okay. Now, if there was very little going on economically, what did you guys do for entertainment to, to keep yourself for entertainment? busy? Yeah, did you just play in the streets? Well, played, you... We played in the streets. The girls, pl the girls played jacks. That's uh, a metal with a uh, rubber ball. <clears throat> and you'll explain that, Rhea? Well, we not only had jacks, we took a penny and we put it on the, uh, you know, the cement that has boxes. So we put on the crack of the joining boxes. And if you hit the the ball on the that thing and you turn the penny over, you got, uh, you two, know. Two points. <laughs> if it didn't turn over, it was one point. And then we had box balls. They, we used. We'd have to, on the steps, we would hit the ball, and you'd have to carry, you got the, somebody else to, to to catch it on the other end. And there was stick ball, like baseball, <clears throat> either with, most of the times you would hit it by yourself, the ball, or somebody would pitch it, but mostly you hit the ball by yourself. You bounced it and hit it. And you used a car fender for first base, a sewer for second base, another car fender for third base, and the sewer for home plate. We didn't have that many cars. <laughs> <laughs> so, so and, let's... When, and when the police came, because the women used to complain about breaking the windows with the ball, <laughs> we would drop the sticks down a dry sewer hole, wait till the cops pass, and somebody would get down and pick, open up the manhole and pick up the sewer. <laughs> Pick up that thing. Good thing the statutes of limitation have passed and we don't use any last names. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's no, – We made our own games. The boys, boys, if they were, you know, rich enough, they would have some marbles. <clears throat> and then we would get uh, the, the uh, cream cheese came in a, a wooden box. And uh, we used to ask the uh, – the, uh, uh, store owner to the dairy save, store. Yeah, to save the boxes for us, and we put holes in the bottom of it, you know, and uh, we would shoot the 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 uh, marbles in there, in there, and you got points. Oh, you got you're not points, but you would be at least twenty feet away by rolling, and you made the hole of the box that just fits the marble because you don't want a big hole. And they, so if you if you got it in this hole, it would be a reward of five marbles. If you had it in a bigger hole, it would be two for one, and so on. Yeah. It, it was more or less like gambling. <laughs> well, so, again, statues of limitations. Of you check. got the bottle tops from the uh, from the soda. Yeah, and uh, we would uh, collect them from the uh, from the candy store. And uh, we that, would fill it up with the uh, skin of, a, of an uh, orange or something. Something that gave it. But before you did that, you had to rub the paint off on the sidewalk so you could have it nice and smooth 
so it could be slide easy across the street floor where they had boxes. So let me. Yeah, we did, we used to call the marbles Emmys. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> and, me... and the other was checkers. The so... other the other uh, marble game was <clears throat> you threw your marble down and you try to get close to it, and if you could span your hand to touch two marbles. You 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 won. If you couldn't, then the other guy would go and he would take your marble because he got closer. So let me ask: Was telephones around at, at no, any point? No, no, no telephones. When when did when did telephones start appearing? <clears throat> I would say in the in the late thirties. But they were in the public in uh, public telephones in the buildings. You know, they would have one. On the middle floor. So if you lived downstairs, you had to go up to the middle floor. If you could, or up on the top floor, you had to come down to the middle floor. And then they would call whatever it was for. Like we were 4C, they would call <clears throat> call out, our, you know, 4C. By the time we got there, somebody would pass by and they would <laughs> sometimes hang it up. <laughs> So after waiting and going around, <laughs> you didn't get your call. Now let's let's. We move. didn't get telephones in the house until after the war, let's, after World War Two. That's a great transition. Let's get to World War Two. That that must have been extremely tough times, emotionally, financially. Oh, it was very well. Hard. We we learned about it also in school. Because I remember distinctly, <clears throat> I was in the public school, and one of the teachers came back from uh, summer vacation that was in Germany, and she was uh, Jewish, and uh, they beat her up, and they, she told us in the English class part of, or the lesson how the uh, Nazis were beating people up for no reason at all. And the anti-Semitism was so strong in Germany, they were looking to spread it all over the world. So, but, well, we but, had hard times also before the war started. The, most of the boys were in the uh, CC Conservation Corps, and they had the men working in the work. What was that? Forest. Well, forest. Workers uh, program. Oh, WPA. Yes. Those were sponsored by Franklin Roosevelt, and he he had to get the people to do uh, you know some kind of work to keep them off off the street and uh, get them to do things. And we got to remember there was no home relief. No, uh, if you didn't work, you didn't eat, and if you went on welfare, it was a shame because people would see the bag. Everyone had the same bag. All the girls had the same dresses. The boys wore knickers when they went to school with a white shirt. So they didn't want they didn't want anything that was free because of the you know the the the, the connection the stigmatism. Of, yeah. Right. So yeah. anyway, uh, we did the best we could, and then we had once well, the war broke out, we had rationing. Let's talk we about had, rationing. Uh, How'd that work? How'd that work? We had a book. Ration book. Yeah. And uh, according to your family. The number of people in your family. They rationed off uh, coffee and uh, butter. Meat. And meat, especially meat. 
and uh, some other stuff. And you have to go to the butcher, and you would, for you know, give in your uh, meat Stand. coupon yeah. for the for the month or whatever it was, and uh, whatever you used up, you couldn't get any more. When uh, the war broke out, I remember <clears throat> my brother brought home his uh, his friend from the uh, outfit, and he was from the south. So uh, my mother took all the uh, meat coupons for the family, and he, she bought them steaks, and she made them French fry and everything else that she could make for them because they were going back to, to camp, and they don't know where they were going to be sent. So when the, after the war was, bro, uh, was on, the, this guy, this fellow George, was a very good friend of my brother Lou, and uh, he kept writing, writing the V-mail. That was special uh, letters that they... The uh, V-mail is victory mail. Yeah, because they inspected the mail that you sent, and that they sent, and they put a photograph of it. So you got a letter sometimes with a lot of blanks. But he said he was taking care of uh, my brother, and he was uh, he couldn't wait to get home again to get the delicious steak dinner that my mother made. <laughs> I have that email. I kept it. So what other what other hardships? Oh, the hardships were were very hard. Uh, When we went to school, we were in elementary school because we were, you know, we were young. And we got. Wait wait a minute. Let me finish. I I I used to sell uh, war bonds, so you didn't have eighteen seventy five to get a twenty five dollars war bond. We had stamps, so we had a booklet. And we uh, we bought a quarter each time, and we pasted the stamp in the book. And when you got eighteen seventy five, you would get a war bond. So I got a ribbon for selling so many. And then we also had uh, drills. Well, the, not only the drills. I want to add something to that. Every one of the students had a dog tag. Oh yeah, we still have yeah. them. Yeah. It was our identification. If we had to evacuate the city, they couldn't tell you to, to to send you home. They would take the whole group of kids and take them out of the uh, the uh, area. So this was our identification. We had to wear wear that every day during the war years. It was made up of a uh, ivory color <clears throat> round disc. Size of about a quarter with a string around it that you put around your neck. Yeah, and we kept it, you know, all those years. We also had uh, drills where they would would sound out the uh, air raid, and then you would get under your desk if you were in the room. Otherwise, uh, you would have a a shelter nearby if you were lucky enough. The, The subway or a basement and you would go down there when the air raid siren went off. And Not- then we had to have shades to cover the windows. We had dark shades. And uh, we had a... We had, air raid, we had air raid drills not only in school, 
but we had drills in the streets where the air raid warden would sound, they would sound the alarm, and he would look for where there would be any light exposed from a window, and he would uh, notify you to, to fix it. So uh, very because they said you could see from a cigarette uh, light could be seen, you know, and uh, uh, would give away the uh, location. Yeah, uh, we only have two minutes left. So, for the people out there, did, did your experiences during the Great Depression and World War II help shape you to prepare for all of this quarantine, shelter in place that we're experiencing now? I think so. How so? I think so because we were able to realize what was going on and we had to abide by the rules and regulations. If not, <clears throat> who knows what would have happened to us. We all pitched in to help. We had the scrap drives, which we participated in. Also in, in the house, when you made something with fat, you would put it in one of the clean tin cans that you had left over from vegetables or something and take it to the butcher shop. So we all tried to do what we could to help the war effort. All right. So thank you so much. That was Ria and Sal, who, by the way, this you lived in New York at the, during that time. Yes. All right. So uh, you lived in Manhattan? Uh, at no, the no time I was when, living in the Bronx. At the war time, I lived in Brooklyn and Manhattan. Okay, so we had three. I lived in the Bronx. There you go. So I mean, had... Brooklyn and uh, and the Bronx. Okay, Sorry. all right. So thank you so much. Uh, we'll be. This is Richard Solomon. We will thank thank you, Ria and Sal, and we'll be continuing our coverage. So stay tuned. This is Scott Schenlinger, and you're listening to Richard Solomon, WCWP 88.1 FM. Greetings, everyone. Richard Solomon, WCWP 88.1 FM, WCWP.org. Continuing our coverage on the COVID-19 crisis. And we're talking to some really cool, nice people in Michigan who are uh, all experiencing different aspects of the, the shelter-in-place uh, so we want to share what they're going through because we're all kind of going through the same thing. So I want to introduce Cheryl. Thank you for being a part of us. And Marley. Marley is a senior in college. And Danny, who's also a senior in high school. So we actually have a lot of the different perspectives. So first, uh, how are you guys doing? I'm good. How are you? All right. Well, thank you for participating. So let's get right into it. Um, I, both... Marley and Danny were going to graduate and have formal ceremonies this year. What's happened to that? Is everything on hold or is it delayed or it's uncertain? Yeah. So for us, they said they postponed graduation. We don't know when it's going to be, but yeah, and I'm canceled. And I'm sure you worked really, really hard, you know, to get to this point. Oh, yeah, definitely. As a senior, you know, I pretty much dedicated my past four years to school and getting good grades and, you know, being able to graduate. And now I don't get to have that formal experience of graduation. So it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Now, let's continue with our discussion. Now, I asked you in pre-production, what, what is it like 
doing a lot of the online work. You said that it was it was really difficult in the sense that you do a lot of lab work and that requires like being in a lab and doing things, touching and, and working in a real environment. Yeah, yeah. So I'm on the pre-health track. So in some of our labs, we have to, you know, like learn how to take blood pressure and, you know, do all that kind of stuff with really expensive equipment that I don't have access to at home. So it's just, it's not the same when you like watch a video of it online or read about it in a lab manual as opposed to actually getting hands-on experience and doing it. So I do feel like, you know, that aspect of my education has been taken away. Danny, let's talk to you. High school. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely harder not being in classes and like asking teachers when you have questions. And a lot of it, I feel like, is just busy work. I, I, I think I think a lot of students across the spectrum have shared that feeling. Uh, yeah. What, what are you guys? What are you? What are you? How are you connecting with your friends? Um, how are you expressing your disappointments in not being able to do year-end activities, things like that? So I'm definitely facetiming my friends and keeping up with them on social media. And for dance, I have virtual dance classes on Zoom, which is keeping me busy. But is that the same? No, it's definitely not the same. And I miss, like, all my friends. Right. Now, you guys are a very active social group of people. This must be uh, a real weird orientation for you guys to be kind of just stuck in, so to speak. Yeah, it definitely is. It's weird not being able to, like, go out and grab lunch with my friends or go for, like, you know, a study date and grab coffee with people. It's, yeah, it's pretty isolating just being at home all day, every day. So and you, I think the uncertainty of it all is we don't know when it's going to end. So, Cheryl, as a mom and as a business owner, how is this all impacting you? You're now the principal of the homeschool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am, but they are older, so they can do things on their own. Um, for me, it's, I mean, having the whole family home in one sense is kind of nice, especially with Marley going off to a different state for grad school in the fall and my twins, Danny and her twin brother going to college in the fall. So on one aspect, it is kind of nice that we are at home and we are having meals together. Um, before all this, everybody was in a hundred different directions and a lot of times we weren't eating dinners together. So that is a positive. Um, I do feel really bad for them and all that they're missing, the prom, the senior skip day, graduation. We had a graduation party planned and now everything's on hold. Now, one thing that you told me in our pre-production discussion was that colleges, at least some of the colleges that you were, you know, I guess interacting with, weren't really having orientations or um, visits. Correct. So talk about that. Yeah. So my son is deciding between two colleges and we were going, we had visited them and to make a final decision, we planned to visit them this spring before the May 1st decision date so he could get an idea. But those have been canceled. And then the um, orientations, the summer orientations for freshmen, where you go and you meet different friends, you stay overnight for a few nights and, um, you know, meet people, pick classes, tour the campus, get a better understanding of um, how you're going to go in in the fall. And those have been canceled in in person and put online. So it's a different experience. Is the May 1st deadline still upon you? 
for, for most schools. I heard some schools had pushed it off if, if to give kids more time to decide. But the colleges that my kids are going to, the May 1st is whole, is a decision date, yeah. Wow, so that's, that's got to be very, very uh, challenging. Now, as a business, uh, yeah. as a business owner... Uh, you, you're you're balancing your business needs to run a business, and then to as be- a di- business owner, um, my business is an essential business. A liquor store is considered essential. We have a grocery license, and we sell uh, like eggs, milk, bread, toilet paper. So um, we sell both liquor and groceries. So um, as a business owner, being open now. Um, has been wonderful for the business, but also stressful being around other people and hoping that other people are safe and everyone has their gloves and masks on. Now, are, are you under any particular orders from your state as to how many people you're allowed to have in your store at a particular time? Because I see here, for example, in some of the stores, uh, they only let so many people in. And then when someone leaves, another one replaces them. And Sometimes the hours haven't been as extensive as they were. Uh, yeah, yeah, our hours, we have um, shortened our hours for cleaning. And um, so we open later and we close earlier. Um, we're a small business, so we do not have um, many people in the store all at once. But we do have um, markings on the floor indicating the six-foot distance. Now, do you, do you, are you regularly receiving supplies? We are. Yes, we are. Yeah. Yep. Because in New York, there's somewhat of a shortage of toilet paper. So. <laughs> yeah, there's a shortage of toilet paper here, but we are getting our supplies. Yes. All right. Because uh, now, what is the feedback you're getting from your customers? Are they going to you more for your groceries? Because by maybe going to a smaller store. Um, yes, correct. More people are coming to us because they don't want to go into a big supermarket. They don't want to be around people. Yeah. Or yeah. people are calling and saying, do you have this in stock? And then, uh, you know, I will run out and give that to them if they don't want to come into the store. Ah, you have, so you have curbside pickup? Um, sort of. Not officially, but yeah. we will do it for customers gotcha. to make them more comfortable. Do you do anything with respect to elderly people? Like I know here, uh, certain, certain places um, have senior shopping, say from like eight to nine in the morning. And then at nine o'clock, the rest of the general public gets to shop. Yeah, no, not so much for us because we're a very, very small store. Uh, okay. So what, what advice, so let me ask this to Cheryl, to other parents, do you have any advice for them? Um, yeah, my, my only advice is that, um, you know, this is new for all of us. We're all experiencing this together at the same time um, in that um, – understand how your kids are feeling because because we don't know how they're feeling only they do like validate their feelings and um know that better days are ahead okay and let me ask marley what what would you what would you say to your peers um and what would you say to younger children um i guess i would just say to like think positively i know it's kind of hard you know on everyone to like be inside all day and not see their friends and go to school but like I think just like to have that positive mindset you know that again better days are coming and you know we'll all get through this together okay let me ask Danny 
for your peers and for younger children? What would you tell? I would say to take the time to learn something new and like make a new hobby and like know that we're all in this together and that you're not alone and everyone's feeling the same way. And I also think it's um, good to keep a routine and like try to like do the same, like keep a routine. Um, and yeah. Cause I, I, I spoke to somebody uh, in a, another segment about the coronavirus and they said, it's important to keep a routine, um, you know, put on, you know, your day pajamas, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, gotta go out there, you know, have a routine, uh, take care of yourself. Um, yeah. all that stuff, because, you know, at some point you don't want to slip into the bad habits of staying up all night, sleeping late and kind of just letting everything mm-hmm. slide. I guess, I guess across America, and maybe even the world, everybody's got much cleaner houses. They're probably all being decluttered as we speak. Let me let me ask this question to Danny. What would you like your teachers and your school administrators to know? Um, I hope that we get some type of graduation, even if it's postponed, to like acknowledge all of our hard work that we put in throughout throughout all of the years, and that we're trying our best on online classes, and it's new for everyone, and to just. Okay. And that, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Oh, I don't just know that we're trying our best and that this is new for everyone. Okay. Well, it is, it is certainly new for, for everyone. And the, the one interesting thing is that it's, it's, it's one of these things where almost everyone, everyone's just universally impacted by this. It's not like it's only in one part of the country or just one kind of business. I mean, it's really, it's really just so broad based how this is affecting everybody. Um, Marley, you told me that your evacuation was abrupt, <laughs> to put it mildly. Could you talk a little bit about that? And what would you tell your school um, about, you know, your thoughts about the whole experience? Yeah, it was just so surreal. Like, a lot of my roommates are from out of state. So, you know, they had to just instantly kind of pack up their bags and figure out a way to get home safely. and. And it was just weird because I had expected, you know, like taking um, end of the year graduation photos with them and going through graduation with them and getting a final goodbye. But I just kind of, I guess, got gypped of that. And, you know, it was just it's just so surreal. Now, for both Danny and Marley, are you going to have senior yearbooks this year? Yeah, I know, like through my school, they're like trying to have people send in pictures of what they're doing over this quarantine and like. We have like virtual spirit week. So like you dress up from home and send photos in. Yeah. Now, as for me, I don't know. I think I'm still getting a yearbook. I, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, do you have the ability to actually communicate with the school or, I mean, like about these kinds of things as opposed to just answering uh, homework questions or submitting in projects, you know, online. Do, do Is there a way for you to actually communicate? Yeah, they, um, I can, like, reach my teachers through, like, email and Google Classroom. And I know my school has, like, this counseling Google Classroom set up. You, if you need, like, help, you can use that. How do you find the technology? Is it easy to use? Is it, you know? Yeah, I think it's easy to use, and especially because I'm young. I, like, grew up on, like, how to use it. Yeah, I was going to say, as like a Gen Z, it's pretty easy to like navigate all the technology and to figure everything out. But 
I know for some of the teachers, they've had a little bit more difficulty transitioning, you know, from all paper and all books to online, everything. So, Well, what's interesting is there are many businesses out there that have never really deployed any of this type of technology. And now in like two weeks, they've all had to convert over. So it's, it's a real challenge. I think you guys wanted to say something about your admiration for the teachers through all of this. I, I, when we didn't record that part. You want to kind of talk about that for a minute? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to, you know, thank all of my teachers. They've been so accommodating and so, you know, they've worked so hard to put everything online and update their whole schedule and make new assignments and just totally rearrange and redo everything. And, you know, they're always there doing office hours online, you know, shooting emails and, you know, getting everything done. So, I, you know, I really appreciate that, all the work they've done, you know, given this unique circumstance. So if you were to look back 20 years from now and you're looking back at this, what would you what would what would your reflections be? Assuming we don't have to go through this again. (laughs) (laughs) Like. Like twenty years in the future. Yeah, yeah. Let's this? say let's say it's twenty forty, and someone says to you, "Hey, Danny, Marley, what was it like twenty years ago when you were in all that quarantine? What was it like?" It was just a crazy time that no one ever planned for or expected. Because like I never thought I would be in this situation in my whole life, but here I am. And just to like to know that like I made it and to like stay positive. Yeah, just to um that you know the resilience. And making it, making the best of it. Well, I I really do appreciate all your time. Uh, Do do you want to at least say hello, maybe before we sign off this segment to all your friends and wish them all well? And yeah, I hope everyone's doing well, staying safe. You know, make sure everyone's washing their hands and uh, just keeping a positive attitude. You know, we're all in this together. Hopefully we'll see each other soon. Yeah. Yes. In person. Yes. I think, I think, you know, even though we always use social media to be connected, it, it was never really a substitute for really interpersonal connections to being together, to sitting down and having a meal. And it's interesting that, that I guess we see the, the greatness of social media and I guess it's limitations all at the same time. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. So, so hopefully uh, we'll all be together soon, uh, all of us, and and you guys get to do some of the activities. So let me, we only have a minute and a half left. What is the first things you're going to do when the quarantines are all lifted and we can do things again? Uh, Let's start, let's start with Cheryl. Uh, First thing I'm going to do is get a haircut, get my nails done. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> All right, let me ask Danny. Danny, what's the first? What's the first things you're gonna do? I'm gonna go and see my friends and take advantage of every moment that I have, being able to go wherever I want. And then finally, Marley, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I was gonna say I'll definitely go see my friends. Probably go to like I don't know the movies or get a restaurant or you know give them a hug. That type of thing. That would be nice. So anyway, I, I, I so appreciate your time uh, sharing your feelings uh, and know that many people, when they hear this, will say, you know, I'm feeling many of those things myself. So thank you for being uh, a, a beacon to all of those out there who are listening. So again, this is, Ri- this is Richard Salm. That was Cheryl, uh, Marley, and Danny uh, from Michigan and sharing uh, their experience 
uh, during the shelter-in-place uh, that we are experiencing right now. This is Richard Solomon. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Rory Cosgrove, and you're listening to Rich Solomon on WCWP 88.1 FM. This is Richard Solomon, WCWP 88.1 FM, WCWP8.org, with our continuing coverage of the corona pandemic crisis. With me right now is Alex Ewan, who is the chief operating officer of my father's place in Roslyn. So, Alex, thank you for uh, sharing some time with us. You're you're a really experienced business guy. Just in about 30 seconds, can we go over your background? You ran festivals, syndicated radio shows, um, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Could you just elaborate a little bit of your background? I mean, I'm a concert concert producer, uh, first and foremost, which is in and of itself. Each concert is a business in and of itself, and um, festivals and things like that are a self-enclosed business. And they have a lot of different arms. So it's natural that we're in media, whether it's radio or television. Many of my concerts have been filmed. And as a part of that, uh, being in the media, it uh, lends itself to other types of uh, businesses, whether it's uh, banking or whether it's selling donuts or something like that. We cooperate with a lot of other businesses in helping them uh, promote their products or uh, advise them on strategies through the use of music and through the use of entertainment. So now that the world is somewhat turned upside down, how how are artists and venues, and more specifically, venues like my father's place, trying to ride this out and reinvent themselves? Well, I think the big uh, phrase that you uttered is ride this out. That's the big thing that everybody needs to do. And everybody's doing it in different ways, depending on their situation. And the situation for many people is not good. The situation for other people is better. It depends on where you are uh, in the industry. By and large, for the industry itself, it's a disaster. Um, everything's closed uh, in terms of uh, live uh, audiences. It's shuttered all across the world. Productions are closed. Film productions are closed. Uh, Radio productions are closed. Studios are closed. So on a grand scale, the entertainment industry is essentially shut down. Um, And that means that for people who depend upon this industry on a day-to-day basis uh, for a paycheck, um, you can be in in very difficult difficult shape. If you're a part of the production company or your studio or your venue and you have a lot of debt, and you have rent to pay, and you have utilities to pay, and things like that, um, you could be in serious trouble too. So it's a very, very difficult situation for the live industry, and there's no guarantee as to when we can reopen. Uh, We were the first business to close. Um, By February, by early February, uh, live venues began shutting down, concerts began shutting down, productions began shutting down across the world. Um, The recognition that this was a problem came to our industry very, very soon. We were the first to shut down. We are almost certainly the last industry to reopen. Other industries, such as manufacturing or certain types of retail, uh, things where social distancing is possible on a, on a certain scale, uh, will reopen first. Our industry, where really social distancing is very difficult. 
is going to be the last. Uh, even after a restaurant may open um, in some limited capacity, us being able to hold a live event where you have hundreds of people packed into a room, it's just not going to happen until this thing is cleared up. So it's a very, very serious situation for our business, the live venue business or the movie theater business or things like that. And we have to recognize that. We have to deal with the reality. This is what it is. Um, we don't know how long it's going to take. We have to hunker down and we have to um, come up with a plan to survive. And that plan includes a number of different components. How do you keep your staff? How do you pay your bills? How do you survive financially? And then how do you reopen? How do you bring people back once you've reopened? Um, will they come back? So those are the questions that you have to ask yourself as a businessman. You know, how do you keep your company intact? And then how do you plan for reopening in a world that may be very different from what we have right now? Well, let's put it this way. The handshake seems to be <laughs> a thing of the past. Uh, we could go to bowing now. I think that'll be the new, the new greeting. You know, you know, it's funny. When you think of live performances, one of the cornerstones, I think, has always been to come up close to the artists, shake their hand, uh, get an autographed copy of a CD, uh, explain how great the music was or how it uh, affected you personally or was a part of your life or like a song was very meaningful to you in a s s part of your life or in a significant way. And that was all very personal and, you know, crowded and tightly knit. And it seems that that is going to be in jeopardy for quite some time. Yes. I mean, we have to look at um we have to look at the near-term future. We have to look at the long-term future. Um, and we have to look at it in terms of uh, what we can do in steps in the near-term future and what we can do in steps in the long-term future. And also, we have to look at it in terms of what we can do as an industry that's dependent upon people being close together. I mean, remember, our industry used to be um, people used to go to ballrooms and they used to dance and they used to you know, hold each other close and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we don't want that to go away. Uh, we want it to continue. The idea that we're going to have to dance six feet apart is um, is a, a very unfortunate way to live. And I just want to say uh, something from a historical basis. Uh, pandemics have happened historically. They've led to changes in sanitary conditions. Um, one of the things that we need to recognize is, is that um, the aspect of this pandemic does involve sanitary conditions that um, we've been very lax on as we become technologically more proficient. Um, we have the ability to disinfect, clean, you know, do the things that need to do, stop, uh, you know, stop these type of uh, bugs from coming into our system and, and trap them when they come in. So we need to look at that on every level of uh, how we change, how we do business in terms of our sanitary nature, and it includes live venues. And I think that we, as an industry, um, we've been lax on that. Um, you know, there was a time when you would have these giant outdoor festivals like, you know, Woodstock or something, and nobody even thought sanitary, you know. Uh, so um, we, uh, we, as an industry, need to be at the forefront of coming up with new means by which we keep things clean, very, very clean. And uh, we stop the spread. Uh, we... Uh, you know, people who are not healthy, people who are sick, things like that, um, they can't come. You know, before they would spread the flu, and it would be minor, but they would still spread it. 
Well, now we can't spread anything. So I think that that's going to be something that is an industry-wide thing we need to look at is, um, you know, we don't want this to happen again and we have to prepare for it. And so um, this happened before and, um, you know, we need to come out of this smarter as a, as a people, as a, as a globe. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that we need to recognize that if live venues are going to be shut down for a, a period of time, we need to do something else. Um, we need to be prepared to do something else. And I think you see that already, which is people are going to the media. They're filming concerts out of their homes. You know, they're, they're broadcasting shows from, you know, out-of-the-way places. They're using um, Zoom and other, you know, uh, methods of communication to have meetings and to have, you know, converse. So I think that that's going to be where people need to reinvent themselves is to join this virtual world in addition to being alive. And you, but you have to join it. You have to be out there and it'll help you in the end when you, when your live shows come back, because it'll give you a platform to promote yourself. Right. And also sustain the momentum. I think one of the greatest dangers is hibernation. Uh, when businesses are out of the public mindset, uh, you tend to be forgotten. And, and isn't that true? That's true. Yeah. And, and, and things are a habit. You know, people, people fall into habits where they go out to eat. Um, but if they fall out of that habit and they start cooking at home and then they don't feel like going out anymore, uh, they don't need to go out and see music. They don't need to do these things. Um, you have to be very careful that at a certain point that the habit of going out um, disappears. And I think that's a part of it too. It's not just simply people want to do things. It's that it's just in their nature that on Friday night or Saturday night, they go out. Right. And like locally on Friday nights, there was like the Glen Cove concerts. Um, there's, you know, my father's place. There was all the Nassau County um, related activities locally, Eisenhower park. And, those were all mass gatherings of some kind or another. Yeah, so we have to be careful uh, not to let that happen. And the way to do that is to reach out to your fan base. And that's the main thing that at my father's place, the first thing we wanted to do very quickly is reach out to them and let them know, look, we're here. We're not going anywhere. We will be reopening. Um, we are around. Um, don't worry about anything. We'll be postponing shows. We're not canceling shows. We're not you know, we're just pushing them back and we'll push them back until it's safe to reopen. So the first thing is you reach out to your customer base, your fan base and say, look, we're here. Don't worry about it. Um, we're going to be around. Um, so everybody's got to stay at home. So let's just, um, let's just do that. So you reach out to them. And then the second step is we try to provide them with some content, some entertainment, something out of our club that can, um, you know, that, that can show them that we're still here. So last week we had a concert on our website, very successful. Um, we had a hundred people watching it and the artist, the young artist actually made $500 from the tip box, uh, as people could just donate money. So she made money, which we're very, very happy for her. For her. And so I think that, you know, it, um, we're going to continue this as we always do supporting young artists who need you know, need need the way to exposure and need the money. And so, and at the same time, we're reassuring our fan base and saying, look, we're still doing what we're doing. So I think that's an, that's an important first step. Reassure your fan base, reassure your customers, reassure them and let them know, hey, we're here. We're not going anywhere. Um, we're going to be back. 
So have you noticed on the artist level, either more creativity or more openness? Absolutely. Because, you know, it was always like as, as someone who does a lot of radio interviews, it's always hard to get so-and-so to be interviewed, to promote the tour because they were busy, they were traveling, they were here, they were there. You had to go through third or fourth parties to get the thing arranged, especially the bigger they were. Um, are they more accessible now? More yeah, available? I think so. I think so. Artists want to do something. They want to be out there. They like to perform. Performers, that's what they do. They love to perform. They can perform. Um, and they're they're looking for ways to, to be out there. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. They want to do something. And it's great. It's great to be able to reach out to them and offer them a platform like my, my father's place or something like that where they can do a show or talk to people or be interviewed or somehow or another get out there and just still be in the public life, which is where they like to be. So, And I think that they also want to help respond to the, um, you know, people staying at home. I think, I think you, you, you know, you see artists as a, a, a giant USO that, you know, is just trying to... Uh, entertain the truth, so to speak, as we, um, as everybody's forced to kind of sit in and, and shelter at home. So I think you see that too. They want to contribute and the way they contribute is through their music or their comedy or their performances. And so they want to get out there. They definitely want to get out there. They don't like being locked in at home either. So, uh, so they want to be, you know, out there virtually and um, it's good to see. It's good to see. So have you talked to artists about, the phenomenon of not being able to feed off the energy of a live audience. You know, when you're a comedian and you tell that great joke with the perfect timing, everybody's really laughing. How, how are they able to do their comedy when everybody who's listening is sort of on mute um, and they don't really know if the audience is responding, you know, in a way that, you know, cause you know, comedians course correct, you know, depending on how the audience is or the vibe. What are you hearing from comedians, from artists about the, the lack of feedback? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an issue we've had before, not simply just in this situation where they're, they're virtual, but you know, when you're doing a, a show without an audience, um, it's not easy. Um, you know, you have to, adjust to a different format and it's not simply the feedback it's the fact that the, the television camera is very personal um you're not looking at uh 100 people or 200 people or a thousand people or ten thousand people the camera is just one you know is, is the eyes you're looking at the camera the camera is very personal it's almost like you're just talking to one person there's many things about the camera that's very very different and for comedians they have to adjust but it's a good thing for them it's a good thing to adjust. Granted, uh, they don't have the feedback. Granted, they they don't have the energy and all that. But at the same time, they've got to pull it out from themselves. And, and you know, it's part of learning your craft. It's part of being, um, you know, moving to the next level. I mean, if you're a comedian and you aspire to be in movies or you aspire to be, you know, your own television show or things like that, you may not have an audience. And you've got to be prepared to deliver in the same way that you would be in a live show. So I think it's good. It's a, it's a good training ground for them, just like it's a good training ground for us. We have to show them, promote them, produce them in their best light. We have to work with them so that they look the best and sound the best and are the funniest. And so, you know, it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for them. 
but at the same time, you rise up to it. You know, you you make two. And we only have about two minutes left in this segment. In, in very briefly, could you talk a little bit about the branching out or expansion into radio uh, and live performance and television that the fans of My Father's Place can look for? Well, what we're doing right now, our first step is to put out a weekly show, live show. Um, it's just a concert. And these are from artists who actually need to do a show. It's kind of like a, a benefit for them, a little fundraiser for them. These are people who, who need to get some work done. So we're doing that. And it's a test. We're testing systems, but we're really making progress. Um, we want it to sound great. We want it to look great. So that's one step, just to get things out to our fans. We have a TV show we're going to start putting out very soon. That's a bigger, bigger um, uh, project. But it's we at the same time, it's exactly that. It's all about quality. So what we're looking at giving our customer base, just like we believe My Father's Place is really one of the great venues to see and act, we want our media, whether it's television, radio, or streaming, to be the best you can see, the best sounding, the best looking, you know, the, the most intimate. So that's our goal is uh, to provide that magic of my father's place into the media world. Well, I'll leave you with this. We had a station meeting and one of the things that was discussed at the station meeting was that with all the news reporting out there, the audio and video quality um, is really not that great because people are just using, I guess, uh, portable phones and, you know, not so great speakers and, and maybe not even, you know, microphones and headsets to really get the job done. So, so with that, um, I want to thank you. This is Alex Ewan. Uh, he is the uh, chief operating officer of My Father's Place. It's myfathersplace.com. This is Richard Salmon on WCWP 88.1 FM. Keep it locked in. Thank you.